You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. This evening's reading comes from Luke 10, uh, verses 38 through chapter 11, verses 13. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell me, uh, tell her then to help me, But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which which will not be taken away from her. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we love you and we worship you and we magnify your name. We pray that your kingdom would come, um, even if that means our kingdoms must be set aside. We pray that your will would be done this afternoon as we study your word. We ask for your help to do so well and clearly. We ask that in your kindness and goodness, you will make us all more like Jesus as a result um, of sitting under your word this afternoon. God, will you get all the glory because you are worthy. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. 
Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Kyle. I think a lot of you know me, but if you don't know me, I'd love to get to know you at the end of the service. I'll be standing up here. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And if you've been with us, uh, you have been going through the, bo- the book of Luke with us for about, I don't know, it feels like a year now. It feels like a long time. And um, Jesus in chapter 9 of Luke has told us that he has set his face toward Jerusalem. So last week's teaching and this week's teaching is in that context and indicates that he is dead set, quite literally, on heading to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And on his way to the cross, Luke gives us a number of teachings that Jesus, just him explaining to us and his disciples what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And these can all be done in one sermon. These could be done in 50 different sermons, uh, but we have broken it up um, the way we have so that we can highlight some truths. And so we've entered into what I have begun to call, as I've studied it, the eat, pray, love section of Luke. Um, Except it's more like listen, pray, uh, love, listen, and pray. But Jesus is discipling us. He's teaching us what it means to follow him. And he does this in a few ways. And the first is what Nathan explained last week. The first are parables. And the second is just teachings, teachings that Jesus gives us as he experiences different people in his life and in his ministry. The lawyer in the parable of the good Samaritan that we looked at last week framed his question in terms of how he might gain eternal life. That's what he came to Jesus asking. How can I have eternal life? But Nathan helped us see that Jesus knew what he was really asking and what he really wanted to do was justify his current way of living. So he told a parable. This is how Jesus responded. He told a parable exposing this man's sinful heart. Instead of desiring to love God's people, the lawyer desired to love himself. He desired to stand um, before God without having to change any of his standards. He wanted the standard of God to be lowered to what he was willing to do, the, the lawyer. I'm explaining these things because they connect a little bit to our passage, so we're doing a little bit of review. He wanted to benefit, the benefit of eternal life without the inconvenience of having to change. Jesus knew his heart, so he went right at it and told a story so opposite of what he was hoping for that it was impossible to miss the point. Nathan helped us understand that. We are the lawyer. Okay, every human, when they read this story, desires to, just themselves, to justify themselves, and they desire to be like a good Samaritan in training. We view ourselves as a good Samaritan in training, and we're just trying to get things right, but we should really be aware of our desire to be justified without being sanctified, right? We are the lawyer. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He is more than a good example. He's the only human to ever love God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind with all of his strength. And we see his love for God on display at the cross, which is, that's where his faith, his face is set, where his love is for the rebellious people that God created. It's going to be on display for all to see. So for Jesus, the great commandment is to love his, the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to die for his neighbor. Jesus' face is set towards Jerusalem, and in these few stories, he is challenging his hearers to set their faces to him, on him. He's calling them to put aside self-justification, to put aside religious ideologies, culture, good works, miracles, everything for the sake of knowing him and receiving him and following him in true faith. 
If you remember, so the reason I'm, I'm kind of giving this review is like in the 72, when he sent out the 72, he reminded them when they returned to glory in the fact that their names are written in the book of life instead of the, the reality that when they were gone, they had power over sickness and power over demons. He did this in the story like we've been talking about of the good Samaritan with the lawyer as he demanded, he abandoned self-justification to truly understand the lover of God in sending his son. And in our text tonight, he praises Mary for sitting at his feet and reminds us of his character, of his father who gave his Holy Spirit generously to anyone who asks. So Christ is calling humanity, Christ is calling us this evening away from our dependence on ourselves to depend on him. So let's get into our text. We're going to unpack these two teachings that we have this evening under three headings. One is the good portion, two, the good prayer, and then we'll end with with three, our third point, the good father. Okay, so let's look at it. The good portion. Last week, Nathan did a great job teaching us how to carefully read parables. I feel like a a need to, in this moment, to point out that the fact uh, of the next few teachings of Jesus, they're not parables. Okay, so it's easy when we get into a string of parables to kind of think that everything's parabolic, everything has hidden secret meanings, meanings. but in this case, Jesus is not teaching a parable. The story of Martha and Mary and the Lord's Prayer are direct teachings from Jesus in moments of his life. He plainly and gently rebukes Martha for missing the good portion and praises Mary for choosing the good portion. He is asked plainly, how should we pray? And he answers plainly with a sample prayer. He shows them exactly how they should pray. The story of Martha and Mary is not a parable, but we often, we want to treat it like one, right? Like I've heard this taught many times in different ways. We want to look at Martha and say, man, she is an ENTJ. She is an Enneagram 14. Um, Then we look at Mary and say, she's a PB&J. She's an Enneagram 24. What can I learn from these women? Like, look at them. She's a busy bee. She needs to settle down. She's a bookworm. She needs to stand up. We want to learn lessons that Jesus really isn't teaching here. This is not a parable. The reality is Martha was wrong. That's, that's simple and plain, and Christ is pointing that out. She's not wrong for being a workaholic. She's not wrong for um, her personality, but she's wrong for not being a disciple of Jesus. She didn't sit at his feet. Let's read it again. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. As Nathan mentioned last week, uh, this is not in chronological order. Luke likely put this uh, parable here after the Good Samaritan to drive Jesus' point home. Okay, so let's look at the lawyer again. Last week, instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus, the lawyer uh, it was not being a true disciple. He stood up, is what the text says. So that's, you don't do that in this rabbi-teacher culture. You don't stand before the rabbi. And instead of taking a posture of listening and learning, he asked a question seeking to promote his own understanding of what he wanted to know to be true, what he wanted Jesus to justify him in. His pride and willingness to break with cultural norms was to be seen as the anti-disciple. Okay, this is, he is the opposite of a disciple of Jesus. Okay, Mary, 
on the other hand, is the picture of a true disciple, one who chooses Christ okay, in the face of ridicule, the one who sits at his feet, though the culture says she should be in the other room cooking and cleaning. Her humility and willingness to break cultural norms in this instance, to sit at the feet of Jesus, was to be seen as the mark of a true disciple. Okay, so we have these differing disciples. Mary's not being lazy. Okay, she is not being radical or intentionally controversial. She is being a disciple. She has seen Jesus rightly. She knows who is sitting in her home. She understands more than the lawyer, more than Martha, who it is before her. And so she takes the posture in that day and age of a true disciple and sits at his feet and listens. She has chosen the necessary portion, the good portion. She's chosen Christ. See, Martha was still living with her mindset on the world. And that, that's it's kind of the, the comparison with the lawyer. She was working around Jesus, but like the lawyer, she didn't understand what needed to change about her. She understood Jesus' status as a teacher. She saw that clearly. She understood her cultural uh, expectations that were on her when she had a teacher in her home. So she toiled. She toiled about seeking to justify herself by doing what any good Jewish woman would do when someone important was in her home. Like the lawyer, she wanted to include Jesus in her life in the context that she was comfortable with and in a way that she was used to living and things that she was used to doing. Martha, like the lawyer in her self-righteousness, spoke up again to Jesus and demanded that he command Mary to get in line. It's pretty remarkable. Like this is another one of those moments where in scripture you read that and you go, whoa, do you know who you're talking to? She did not yet fully understand that the God of the universe was sitting in her home. The one who spoke the world into existence was in the other room, and she was over here in this room making tea only to pop in every moment to boss him around and her sister around. And if we're honest, we have these same tendencies. We're just like Martha, just like the lawyer so often, apart from the, the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we justify, these are questions to ask ourselves, how do we justify our own self-righteous judgments against God's word? Okay, we know what's true and we want to justify ourselves. How do we justify against Christ and his call to come and die? How do we justify wanting Jesus to fit into our cultural moment, into our political agenda, into our sense of righteousness and justice, and the way we run our homes and run our lives, a way that is convenient and makes sense to us? We do the same thing. One step further, how do we view our anxieties and our troubles? Because Jesus, like the lawyer, he sees right past, Mar right past Martha and he says, man, you are filled with anxiety. You are filled with trouble. And we are just like Martha, spinning, we're swirling, we're filled with anxiety and trouble, seeking to relieve it in our own strength, with our own methods, with our own wisdom. We should be like Mary. We should be sitting at the feet of Jesus, content with the necessary portion. Christ followers here are being characterized by complete devotion to him. And everyone else that, that, this, that, that Luke has been highlighting is characterized by personal agenda and culture. Christ followers have a clear focus and desire to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. They love God. 
They can no longer, like, like last week, they can no longer walk by the injured man on the road. Not because of guilt, not because they feel bad, not because, oh no, I've seen him and now I have anxiety. What's the right thing to do? What should I be doing? But because they are freed up, because they have experienced and seen the true Messiah. They have seen him love. They have seen him care. They know what's true and right and good. They are captivated with a new reality. See, the clear call in this teaching, not this parable, is to pour over the scriptures Okay, to cast our anxieties on him. His words and teachings are more available to you, Christian, than they were ever available to Martha and Mary. If you're a Christian, the Spirit lives in you, right? And the word of God has been preserved for you. So sit at his feet. Learn from him. Put sin to death. Put fear in its place. Consume the better portion. That's what Luke is calling us to do. Jesus sees past Martha's self-righteousness and exposes her anxiety and her trouble. See, Martha didn't need to relax. She didn't need a vacation. She didn't need a therapist or a day off. Christ is clearly teaching, you need me. You need to sit with me. I'm not saying that if you experience anxiety that you're not a Christian or that you might not even need extra help. But what I am saying is that there is a difference between trusting yourself and hosting Jesus in your home and kind of hosting him around you and being a true disciple of Jesus. Is Christ working around you or is he working in you and through you? These are questions that Luke is calling us to ask of ourselves. There's more in Luke about anxiety, and in a few weeks we're going to unpack what's really, uh, what Jesus really believes to be the most anxiety-killing truth, and that is believing and trusting in the love and kindness of a heavenly Father that genuinely cares for you moment by moment, day by day. We're not there yet, but our next two points this evening set the stage really well for that. So let's look at it, the good prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is another instance that if we're not careful... We turn it into a parable instead of a direct teaching of Jesus, like Rabo kind of pointed out this evening. He had just finished praying himself, and when asked how to pray by his disciples, this is what he said. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So to be clear... Not every prayer that we pray should only be quoting these verses, right? But this is not a parable. Like there may be a very good reason why you feel like your prayers are not being answered. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And the themes of his prayer are complete adoration of God. Okay, that's how he starts it. And then complete dependence on God and his character. We are to worship him and ask him to provide, but not in a impersonal, mechanical way. See, this is one of those turning points in history that should blow our minds. It should cause us to just consider, did, did Jesus just really say that here in this prayer? Jesus is highlighting one of the most profound things that is true of us because of his work on the cross. He's highlighting a personal, genuine, close, intimate relationship with the God of the universe that he is ushering in because of his life and death and resurrection. In one word, and, and I, there's lots of ways that pastors have done this, like daddy or, or papa, I'm not gonna necessarily gonna make you feel awkward with that, but with one intimate name for God, as Jesus is teaching his disciples to say, he says, Abba, Jesus opens up a world that no human could have genuinely ever 
imagined or considered or fathomed apart from Christ. A world where the creator God, ruler of heaven and earth, can be accessed like a person, a person, but more than that, a person who is close to you, who knows you, who loves you, who created you, who cares for you, one who provides for you, not out of obligation or because of your good behavior, because he loves you. Jesus is teaching you that he is your good father. This is such a radical truth. No other religion, including Judaism, offers a relationship with God like this, so intimate that you can address him as father. Because of Jesus, we have unimaginable access to God. So his face is pointed to the cross, and he is teaching us right now what that means for you. No longer impersonal gods in the sky that you hope will somehow come through, but you have a father who loves you. It's an amazing prayer. It's a prayer of complete adoration and dependence, acknowledgement that God is holy. His kingdom is the kingdom every heart on earth is longing for. He's the provider of today and the things we need for it. He's the forgiver of sinners and the one who empowers us to forgive. He helps in times of temptation and has power over the evil things in our lives and in the world around us. There's no portion of this prayer that is not dependent on God completely. There's no room for self-righteousness, but only complete dependence. This prayer assumes that you are sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him. It assumes you know the character of God. You know the one that you're talking to. See, these two teachings, sitting at the feet of Jesus and prayer, are like Discipleship 101. I've been in ministry for, I don't know, 15, 20, maybe more than that years. I don't want to say how old I am. A long time, and I can't tell you how many camps I've been to where these have been the main teachings. I can't tell you how many books are written on these realities. How many times I've opened these scriptures to disciple someone new in knowing what Jesus, uh, who Jesus is and how we are to follow him. And for good reason. For good reason. These are clear teachings. Christ is teaching us valuable truths about being disciples. And I want to highlight a few things here before we move on to our last point. If you want to hear from God, if you want to be taught by him, we are told to sit at his feet. We are told to listen. And not in this prayer. There's no listening portion in this prayer. We are told to listen to his teaching. For us in this day and age, that means to be students of the Bible. Hearers of the word submitted to God through Bible reading and teaching. Totally devoted to God's devotion to us and his scriptures. Everything that God wants you to know about him, about yourself, about your circumstances, about this world is written in his word. Too often we look to culture, to our own experiences and ideas, the news, politics, so on for truth that can only be found in God's word. Like Martha, we're trying to serve Jesus based on what makes sense to us, but we are not sitting at his feet. His word is living and active. Where did I get that from? His word. The Bible is your true daily bread. And if you want to hear from God, you must sit at his feet and read what he said. Prayer has a similar pitfall. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to praise the name of God and ask for his kingdom to come, ask for our daily provision and for help in our sanctification in Christ-likeness. And that's really it. He could, have, he could have written a whole other book for us. No doubt. Jesus could have had a lot to say about prayer. But in our text tonight, it's 36 English words. 
I don't know Hebrew, so I couldn't translate that, or Aramaic. It's the 13-second prayer. I prayed it like three times to try to get my time right. It's short, and I'm not suggesting that every time we pray, we quote this, but I'm suggesting that we take it seriously when Jesus teaches us to pray. The correct use of this model prayer is dependent on you being aware of your dependence on God. Is it, de- it is dependence on God and your knowledge of God and his character that you can only gain uh, from his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe? So this is just walk through this prayer. Do you believe that his name is set apart and holy and that his kingdom coming is what the point of existence is? Do you trust in his character knowing he will provide for you, forgive you, and teach you how to forgive? Do you trust that he is sovereignly guiding you, not leading you in temptation, but strengthening you through it as his kingdom comes here on earth, here in you as it is in heaven. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and praying to the Father, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. What you know and believe about God, the God you are praying to makes a world of difference. It's the difference between praying that his kingdom comes and praying for your kingdom to come. That's slippery, that's tricky, but it's easy to get those things crossed. What I want, what I desire, what I think you should be doing is what I'm praying for instead of what you want, what you desire, what you think I should be doing is what I'm praying for. It's a difference between praying for his will and your will. It's a difference between prayer that is biblical and prayer that is not. Prayer that has power and prayer that is reliant on your own strength. It matters. This prayer matters. He's teaching you. Knowing what is meant by ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you can make or break your prayer life. That's a confusing part. That's, that's something we're going to talk about now because that is, that is so important to understanding what is meant here if we're going to be people who pray according to how Jesus has taught us to pray. So that brings us to our last point tonight, the good father. The prayer of the Christian, okay, this is how I'm connecting it all, sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving the good portion is a good prayer because it connects us to the good Father through the Holy Spirit. Now we get into, now we finally get into a parable, okay, so we've had some direct teachings, now we're getting told a story. We get into a parable, told to connect the two realities we have been talking about. And if I'm being honest, this parable has always been a bit strange to me. I have not always understood it correctly. So let's unpack it. I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it. And he said to them, which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will give rise and give him whatever he needs. His impotence is like his annoying. So I think this parable is confusing because we don't know who I am. Like, am I the annoying neighbor? And if I'm the annoying neighbor, that means God is annoyed with me, right? So he's the one who's having to get up and begrudgingly wake his children up and get out of bed. Is that how I'm supposed to understand this? I don't want to annoy God. I feel like I annoy him with almost everything I do. Like, I don't want to annoy him now with my prayer. This has always been so confusing. Am I supposed to be like a kid in a supermarket that just keeps asking, even though it's clear the parent has already said no? Like, is that what I'm being taught here? It seems like it's what I'm being taught here. We all know that's not true, but what is true? 
What is this parable about? Who am I in this parable? I think that's where we get off. I think that's the wrong question to ask when reading this parable. Who am I? The right question is, why was the man so persistent? Why did he just keep knocking? Why did he not take no for an answer? And when you answer that question, the teaching of Jesus here in this parable becomes less confusing. In ancient Near East culture, this is, this is history time, travelers would often leave late in the afternoon. They didn't want to leave in the morning because that means they were walking through the heat of the day and the heat of the evening, and that was pretty dangerous. And so they often left maybe after five or six when it was still hot, but they knew the sun was going down because the day um, would be bearable, the heat would be bearable, and it was abnormal. It was not abnormal for somebody to come to your house late. You, didn't, you weren't able to text them saying, hey, we're running late. Hey, we, we left a week early. We, we weren't even able to do that. Hey, we left a day early. Everything was just kind of happenstance. You didn't know what the other person was doing. They didn't have the conveniences that we have. So it was not abnormal to have a guest show up late. What would have been abnormal is to turn a guest seeking shelter away or to not provide for their needs as they walk into your home hungry or thirsty after a long travel. In an honor-shame culture, it really is important to show generous hospitality. The reputation of your family depended on it. The reputation of your town depended on it. So Christ in this story is not telling something confusion. He's confusing. He's tapping into common knowledge that everyone of his day would have been like, oh yeah, I've been there. We've all, we've all been there. We understand completely what's going on. But we tend, as Americans in our day and age, we tend to focus on how late it was. Like we're not going to, we don't go to our neighbor's house anyway. Okay, you're not, you're like, I need sugar, I'll drive 10 miles, right? I need eggs, I'm not going to ask them, I'll just go without eggs for a day. Like we don't go to our neighbor, much less at midnight we don't go to our neighbor and knock and ask for anything. But he kept knocking. Okay, this guy kept knocking is what Jesus teaches us. And it's not to be annoying. He kept knocking because he knew that what he was doing was right. He knew that his request would be answered. He was not confused about what his neighbor would do and think once he realized what was happening. Though for a moment it would inconvenience his neighbor, it was the right thing to do. It was his neighbor's will that he keeps knocking. And he knew that the neighbor would would not refuse him bread. And he knew that if his neighbor had the same problem, he would do the same thing. It was the will of the neighbor for the sake of his family's honor, for the sake of their town's honor, that he kept knocking. In this case, the impudent neighbor knew the truth. He knew his request would be answered. So, though it was awkward, he kept knocking. He asked and he received. He sought what he needed and he found it. He knocked and the door was opened. This is the point where this teaching gets so tough and often so misused. You got to get this right. It seems like Jesus just taught you to annoy God until you get what you want. And that you should expect to get what you want after you ask, after you seek, after you knock. Just be annoying. Just keep doing it. Just have faith. Like a child in the supermarket who's just stomping and screaming until the, final, the, the, the mom finally says, that's it. I've had it. Put it in the cart. I'll buy it for you. Okay, fine, fine. Who cares what I want? Who cares what I've said? Who cares what's true? Who cares who's supposed to submit to who in this situation? I don't care. I just give up. It's not the teaching. (laughs) Often it's taught that your faith must be weak if God's not answering your prayers 
or you weren't persistent enough, or maybe you gave up just a day too soon. And since you're a quitter, God quit on you. He's just like, you're pathetic. You couldn't pray one more day. You couldn't just keep knocking one more minute. What a terrible misuse of this passage. (laughs) Don't, Don't fall into it. Remember above that I pointed out that the prayer Jesus taught us to pray was a prayer that is totally dependent on God and his character, who he is. A prayer that acknowledges that everything we need, and that's the key word, everything we need comes from him. The prayer of a tantrum-throwing child is not a prayer of dependence, but a prayer of demand. A prayer that tests God. It puts his goodness and character into question. It puts God in the hot seat. God's no longer in control. We're no longer in submission or dependent on him. He's now our servant waiting to jump at any request out of fear of disappointing us. This is not how this parable is meant to be understood. All three of these teachings, even including the one last week, these eat, pray, love lessons are meant to be understood together, okay? So let's put these stories together, okay? Good Samaritan. We're to love God in such a way that our hearts begin to love what he loves. That's the neighbor, okay? And when our hearts begin to love what he loves, we sit at the feet of Jesus and let him teach us through his word. As we sit at his feet and learn from him, we pray like he does. His ultimate concerns become our ultimate concerns. We desire his kingdom to come and we trust him with each day, understanding that he will provide for the needs of his people. He will never leave us or forsake us. And our daily bread is a reminder of that. The fact that you have breath in your lungs, not all your circumstances are everything that you think you need, but you have everything that you need because you have a good father, Christian. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. This is just such a positive teaching. And the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is such a better father. Like, I desire to give my kids good things. I, I want them to have a good childhood. I want them to know God. I'm watching them. I know them. I listen to them. And I always desire and intend to give them good things. But it doesn't always work out. I don't have the ability to control them and to know them. And this is not true of God, however. He knows you. He sees how terrible things are going right now. He sees how hard life is. He sees how good things are going right now. He watches every moment. He sees your past, your present, and your future. He discerns the deepest part of you always, and he gives you exactly what you need. And what is that according to our text? Because what did you think when I said that? What do you need? You need a nap after balloon fiesta? That's what I need. No, that's not what he gives you. He gives you the Holy Spirit. That's what the word says, the regenerating, life-giving, sin-exposing, indwelling third person of the Trinity is your portion. The helper who exists in us to glorify Christ for an eternity 
through forming us into his image and giving us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these the things you're asking for? Do you sit at Jesus' feet? Do you read his word and then in turn and say, this is what God intends for me. This is what the good father is handing me. This is what he has prepared for me. We don't do that. It's so frustrating, and prayer is so frustrating for many, many of us. But Christ desires to give you his Holy Spirit. Listen to this famous passage, Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be formed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. We love this passage because it's true. God is for you, Christian. He is for you. He is every moment of every day working things for your good. Do you sit at the feet of Jesus? Do you believe him? Do you trust him no matter what the circumstances may be? He predestined you to be formed into the image of his son. The part we often miss about truths like this is that Jesus was a man of sorrows, a suffering servant, a crucified king. He was hated. He was dismissed. He was beaten. His life was constantly threatened. He had no place to lay his head. This is the upside down kingdom. This is what's so hard for us as humans to put our minds around. We forget that we're living in the upside down kingdom. The kingdom that we are taught to pray to come is not like the kingdoms of this world. It will never be like the kingdoms of this world. He taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come, but we forget that that means that that, that means our kingdom falls, right? And in the other places where this prayer is recorded, he's taught us to pray that his will be done, but we forget that that means that our will then must be broken and reformed into his will. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. This is what Jesus is telling you to pray for. This is what the Bible promises us to form you into the image of Jesus. And God is a good father and he will hold nothing back. I feel like this last year of my life has been God holding nothing back. And my kingdom, though small and broken, it's stubborn. It does not want to be submitted to the kingdom of God. But God in his kindness is not handing me a rock. He's not handing me a serpent. He's not handing me a snake. He's handing me his son, This is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. What are you asking for? And then ask yourself, is God answering? I can guarantee that if you ask for the Holy Spirit to form you into the image of Jesus, your generous Heavenly Father will answer the prayer. He'll never let go of that. Remember the character of God when you ask, however, because he is not a God who gives a serpent instead of a fish. So if God gives you something, you can't interpret it as a serpent. You need to, to submit to his will and his kingdom and understand his goodness and his kindness in giving it to you. The fish he hands you might feel like a biting servant because dying to self hurts. The lawyer was wounded 
Okay, Jesus wounded him when his self-righteous question was exposed. Martha was hurt when rebuked by Jesus. Being told you are greedy and you should stop loving money always hurts. Being told you are lustful and your desires are disordered hurts. It goes against your kingdom. Being told to quit your job or leave your friend group or conform your view of the world to the Bible and not to the culture, it hurts. It comes at us. Christ is coming at our kingdoms. Being crucified with Christ can be painful because it kills us. It breaks our wills to the point, and that's the point of this parable. That's the point of what Jesus is teaching us. The man kept knocking, not to annoy his friend, but because he knew the truth. He knew what was right. He knew what should be done. And we should pray in the same way, with the same confidence as we sit at the feet of Jesus, hearing his teachings from his word. So what do we do? What do we do with all of this? That's, that could have been five or six sermons. There's a lot that we just covered in Luke with all those different things. So what do we do? The good portion, the good prayer, the good father. All of us are in very different places in our lives and in our faith. So giving, giving a direct application or rebuke from the pulpit can sometimes be difficult. But one thing I've been meditating on as I was writing this sermon and picturing your faces, as I was praying for you and being reminded of your struggles, of your successes, of where the Lord has you and so many of you in this season, one, one, I don't know, just I guess it's a sentence kept coming to my mind. And the encouragement, the challenge is that following Jesus is simply complicated. It's simply complicated. It's simple because the gospel is clear. It's a simple truth. God is holy. We are sinful. Jesus is the solution. So repent and believe in his completed work on the cross and be saved. That's a simple truth. But it's complicated because it demands your heart it demands your soul. It demands your mind and your strength. It demands that every affection, every thought, every love, every action be in submission to God. It demands that of you. It demands that you love your enemies, that you sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from the scriptures. It demands that you conform completely to the will of God and his kingdom order in this life, not just in the life to come. It demands everything. As we believe this simple gospel, our lives get more complicated because we are constantly trying to submit every thought to what we know to be true about God and his character. We should always be second-guessing our motives. Like, we want to be rid of that. We want things to just get easy. We want to just be like Martha and just sit. But man, the gospels call us to be reevaluating every moment of every day to make sure that we are submitting to his kingdom come and his will be done, that we are dependent on him completely. If that scares you or overwhelms you, remember that God is a good father. It's true. He only gives good gifts and he predestined, if you're a Christian, even before you were born, that you would look like Jesus. That's something he has always done and he will always do and he is going to accomplish in your life. If you're a Christian, it's going to happen. Who can stand against him? Trust your good father and live for him. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, I'll close with this. I hope that the truth that we've been talking about, there's some pretty amazing truths in these passages that God loves you, that he desires to give you good things. He desires to give you himself even. It's, I hope these are amazing, compelling truths. 
that you can have a personal relationship with the eternal God of the universe. But be reminded that this only comes through submitting to his will, his kingdom, through turning from your sinful ways to his son Jesus who died in your place. I hope these truths beckon you to repent of your sinful rebellion against God. Believer, I hope that these truths beckon you to repent of your sinful rebellion against God, that we all might be formed into the image of Jesus. May his kingdom come. Would you pray with me? God, as Jesus taught us to pray, we just agree. You are holy and you are set apart. Your kingdom is coming, and we just say, may it be so. Help us today, God. Would you provide for our physical needs, our spiritual needs? Help us to trust that your work in our lives is for our good. The easy, the hard, the good, and the bad. We trust in you. We trust your character. We love you. Help us to love what you love, Lord. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.